the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. First of all, we said that to rebel against Christ's authority means to rebel against any human authority that the Lord sets above us. God works through human authority. And if you reject his authority, ultimately you have to reject the human authority he puts above you. And that would be in the form of, uh, for example, government. Human government is, uh, is to be above us. Uh, the home is to be above us. Uh, parents are to be over their, their children. It's very interesting that the cults are generally anti-government. Cults are generally fighting the government. Not only that, but cults are anti-family in that they want to replace the family. As I told you last week that many leaders in in cults uh, want to be referred to as father or dad, and their wife is is mom, mother. It's a family-like environment. Why? They're anti-family. They draw young people, especially young people, away from their family. Everyone needs to feel accepted by someone. And if that acceptance doesn't come from family, young people in particular will look for it in some incredibly unhealthy relationships. False teachers use that desire to belong to a group to attract vulnerable people and then dominate every facet of those people's lives. One good way to spot a false teacher is to look for someone who wants total authority over their followers. Welcome to Verse by Verse. We are continuing our series of lessons today on the dangers of false teachers. I'm glad you could join us as Pastor Steve Kreloff begins a three-part message, the sixth message in this series from 2 Peter chapter 2. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he's been serving since 1981. You know what's the most dangerous creature on earth? I found a website that listed the top 25. Some of the most dangerous animals are really quite beautiful, but there are also some obvious choices. I wasn't surprised to find the African elephant ranked number two. The great white shark and the black mamba were obvious choices for the top 25. Would you be surprised to find that the most dangerous creature is the mosquito? They transmit diseases that kill two to three million victims a year. I think there was one major omission in that list, though. People. Here's Pastor Steve with more on the dangers of false teachers. Well, shortly before Peter denied Jesus, the Lord made a remarkable statement to him. He said this in Luke chapter 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What the Lord was telling Peter was that the devil wanted to destroy his faith, but God would not allow that. Though Peter would stumble in denying Christ, and he certainly did stumble, Peter would never lose his faith. Ultimately, 
he would return to the Lord and be restored. And Jesus said, when you're restored, I want you to do this. I want you to strengthen your brethren. I want you to strengthen God's people. And you know that Peter's task, really, from that point on, was very unique. Peter's ministry was to help God's people to deal with Satan and his demonic assaults. Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He's asked permission to attack you. And he will, but he won't ultimately destroy your faith. But when you're turned around again, I want you to teach God's people how to deal with Satan. I want them to understand that you are my unique instrument. And that is precisely what Peter's ministry was all about, and at least in the two letters we have. What I mean by that, his first, his first letter, First Peter, in that letter, he teaches God's people how to deal with Satan's attacks in the form of persecutions from outside the church. That's why he writes in First Peter chapter 5, he says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I think in context there, he's talking about persecution because that's what the book is about, suffering and persecution. But resist him. Here's how he tells him to be strengthened in the faith. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So that's First Peter. In First Peter, here's how you deal with, with Satan. Trust the Lord. Be firm in your faith. Be sober-minded. Respond properly to persecution. But in Second Peter, his approach is a little bit different. In this book, he teaches God's people how to deal with Satan's attacks, not that come from outside the church, but that come from within the church in the form of false teachers who had infiltrated the church. These teachers claimed to be godly, but they were deceivers who propagated satanic error in order to spiritually harm Peter's people, the congregation. Believers. That's why in 2 Peter 2 1, he said, They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They will come alongside of legitimate Bible teachers and introduce error that would, if embraced, destroy people, send them to hell because they would never trust Jesus Christ believing that kind of stuff. And so I want you to understand that, that 2 Peter is really about that commission Jesus gave Peter to strengthen your brothers, uh, teach them how to deal with satanic assaults. And that's what the book is about. In chapter one, he has taught us you deal with satanic assaults, first of all, by being strong spiritually, by growing in the Lord, maturing, adding to your faith, all of these virtues, becoming Christ-like. But in chapter two, he teaches us about false teachers, the truth about false teachers, because if we are to be careful about false teachers, we know we need to know exactly what they're like. And that's what chapter 2 is about. In this chapter, Peter exposes the false teachers, not so much for what they were teaching. His emphasis is not on their doctrine, although there are little uh, bits and pieces here and there we can put together on what errors they were teaching. But the emphasis in Second Peter 2 is not on what they taught, but on what they were in terms of their wicked character and their wicked behavior. It's as if Peter just unmasks them. It says, look, underneath the pretense, underneath the facade of piety and godliness, these men are not like that. They are not like that at all. They have a satanic 
character and bent about them. They are just like their father, the devil. And so this is a very strong chapter. These words are powerful. And uh, we began to look at this last week as we saw two truths about false teachers. He rips off the mask. He says, here's what they are like. Number one, we saw last week in verse 10, they are morally impure. Peter says uh, in verse 10, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires. All of that to say they're morally impure. They corrupt the flesh. False teachers are not believers. They may have at one time professed to be believers, which would make them apostates. They are not believers. They have never been born again. So they have no power indwelling them in the person of the Holy Spirit to say no to sexual desires and drives. They live impure lives. They have no power to live a life of purity. No power to do that. And under the pretense of being holy, these individuals, generally speaking, are very immoral. Even the suggestion here would be that they were practicing homosexual behavior because he's just uh, come out of talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, occasionally you find the false teacher who is very moral, and I think they are there to just confuse us even more because they are deceptive. But generally speaking, there is an immoral bent to false teachers and eventually they get exposed. Secondly, not only are they morally impure, but verse 10 goes on to tell us they despise authority. Right at the end of verse 10, he says, and despise authority. They're immoral and they despise authority. False teachers are characterized by a rebellion to Jesus Christ. The authority he's talking about here is the person of Jesus because we get our word Lord from this very word authority. They despise the authority of Christ. And what we suggested is that there are a number of applications to this. It isn't just that they reject his deity, that they theologically have a problem with that, but there are a number of of applications that, that really are quite practical and I think helpful to us. First of all, we said that to rebel against Christ's authority means to rebel against any human authority that the Lord sets above us. God works through human authority. And if you reject his authority, ultimately you have to reject the human authority he puts above you. And that would be in the form of, uh, for example, government. Human government is uh, is to be above us. Uh, the home is to be above us. Uh, parents are to be over their, their children. It's very interesting that the cults are generally anti-government. Cults are generally fighting the government. Not only that, but cults are anti-family in that they want to replace the family. So I told you last week that many leaders in in cults uh, want to be referred to as father or dad, and their wife is is mom, mother. It's a family-like environment. Why? They're anti-family. They draw young people, especially young people, away from their family. Young people who are looking for acceptance somewhere and they maybe don't find it in their family, that's where they, they turn because they will treat them as a family. So they rebel against Christ by rebelling against human authority. Secondly, they rebel against Christ by establishing themselves as the ultimate authority. They are the ultimate authority. Usually false religions and um, and cults, which are really the, the same, you could say, in, in this sense, um, usually have a messianic type leader, uh, someone with a tremendous personality, very dynamic, has a lot of charisma, and people are drawn to that. But those folks set themselves up at the final as the final authority. You can't question them. They slander you. 
if you dare to question their authority. They accuse you of being devilish if you do that. And last week, quite frankly, I quoted from two men, Benny Hinn and Paul Crouch, who uh, by their own words uh, revealed where their hearts are. When, when godly people question their, teacher, uh, their teaching, in essence, they said, if I could, I'd blow your head off. And you can get the tape last week and uh, the exact quote is in there. And that's, that's from a, uh, two broadcasts on the uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network. I also suggested, and I think this is very valid, that there are some um, men, some leaders, some pastors who, while not theologically being a cult, they are cultic in their leadership style. They are the final authority. They run everything. They run the church. You can't tell them what to do. They don't take any suggestions. And it's really uh, very, very cultic. Beware of men like that. Because ultimately, what the cults and false religions want you to do is not think. They will do your thinking for you. They don't want you to have independent thinking. They don't want you to scrutinize their teaching. They will tell you what to think. That's a, that's a mark of a cult. In fact, I just happen to have here a book called The Culting of America by Ron Rhodes. And uh, he mentions the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses in their Watchtower uh, publications. They have stated this, and I'm just quoting from, from them. God, and they're the, uh, brand, they are the publication of Jehovah's Witnesses. God has not arranged for his word to speak independently or to shine forth life-giving truths by, the, by itself. It is through his organization God provides the light. And guess who they think his organization is? Themselves. What they're saying is that you are not capable of studying and understanding the Bible for yourself. You need Jehovah's Witnesses to do that for you. That's why they'll be more than happy to come into your home and have a little Bible study with you. They also said, avoid independent thinking, questioning the counsel that is provided by God's visible organization. It means don't question their leaders. This is what they said it means, so it must mean that. Fight, they said, against independent thinking. We should seek for dependent Bible study rather than for independent Bible study. You see, you understand what they're, what they're saying is you can think for yourself. Hey, listen, this is, this is what the Roman Catholic Church does too. We'll think for you. We'll tell you what it means. You're not capable of understanding it. Our traditions, our, uh, our decrees, our priests, our cardinals, our popes will tell you what to believe. Folks, that's false. Religion and it all comes under the in the form of of despising Christ's authority, establishing themselves as the final authority. There is also another way that false teachers demonstrate that they despise Christ's authority. Look, if you despise the authority of Jesus Christ, you must despise His Word because His Word is the final authority. His Word is how we know what He wants us to do. That's it. You don't have anything else. And if you despise his authority, you must despise the authority of the word of God. And that's why false religions and cults all appeal to some form of extra biblical revelation, whether it be in the form of a written book or authoritative tradition or even a new word from God. God just spoke to me and told me this. I had a dream and it, and this is what he said. Listen, anything that, that takes uh, it stands with, the, even if they say it's with the word of God, it diminishes the authority of the word of God. 
diminishes the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, this morning, as we continue in verse 10, we're going to examine and discover one more truth today about false teachers. There's a lot more in the chapter, but just today, uh, this is a lot to cover. And it's this. First of all, we saw that they are morally impure. Secondly, they despise Christ's authority. The third truth about them is that they are extremely arrogant. They're not just arrogant. They are extremely arrogant. And Peter will tell us uh, how we know that. As we continue in verse 10, the second part of verse 10 says, they are daring self-willed. Peter continues his description of false teachers with a double characterization of these men. He calls them daring and self-willed. Now, what does that mean? We have to know what these terms mean. Your your uh, translation may say bold and self-willed. Well, the word daring does mean to be bold. It means to be defiant. It's uh, We would use the word brazen. It's It's unbelievable gall and headstrong daring attitude. And the term self-will basically means to be self-pleasing, but more than self-pleasing. It carries with it the thought of stubbornly insisting on doing what pleases them. So when you put these words together, what you have is a picture of false teachers as being defiant and arrogant individuals who did it their way, as the song says. I did it my way. They do whatever they want, regardless of what anyone, especially God, tells them. And and that really goes hand in hand with despising authority. They despise authority, therefore they're going to do whatever they want. Nobody's going to tell them what to do. They are daring and they are self-willed. Now, to what extent did this manifest itself? It's one thing for Peter to say they're daring and and self-willed, but how? How did they evidence this? To what extent was their arrogance? Well, notice as he continues in verse 10, and I think this next phrase just uh, qualifies and, and clarifies what he's talking about. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. These false teachers were so arrogant that they actually were slandering or blaspheming, insulting angels and they weren't even afraid to do it. That's the amazing thing. That's the arrogance. In other words, they continually, and that's the the thought in the Greek here, they continually spoke out against angels without any sense of fear. I mean, it's one thing to speak out against angels and then duck, but they didn't do that. They didn't think lightning was going to strike them. They spoke out without any sense of fear. They were that daring, headstrong. Now, what is Peter referring to? There are some interpretive decisions that one must make as you go through this. What were these men specifically doing? Well, first of all, we need to understand what what Peter means by the word that is translated in my version, which is the New American Standard Bible, angelic majesties. The King James Version translates this word dignities. The New International Version translates this word celestial beings. And uh, so what that tells you is that we have to make an interpretive decision. Your uh, your translators already have made an interpretive decision to some degree for you. But what, what does this mean? We have to decide. Well, literally, the, the literal Greek translation of this word is glories, glories. In fact, uh, if you sing the doxology, that's that's where we get this word from, doxa, or we get we get that term from it, doxa. Doxa would mean to to praise and glorify God, but here that's not what he's talking about. Most Bible scholars would say that 
glories really should be translated the glorious ones. The glorious ones. He's talking about beings here. But which glorious beings is he talking about? That's that's a decision we have to make. He's talking not so much about the glories of Christ, but he's talking about the glorious beings. They slander and insult glorious beings. Now, basically, there are three choices to make. Three choices. There are some who believe that Peter was referring to local church leaders, to pastors. It's probably why the King James translates this dignities. And the thought is that the false teachers were slandering these pastors because they were criticizing their teacher and teaching. I mean, uh, you criticize me, I'm going to blast you away. And they were slandering them. Now, I think very highly of church leaders being one myself. And as a pastor, it really is an intriguing thought to be thought of as a glorious being. But I don't think that's biblical. I'd like to be thought of as glorious, but I can't cut it. So I I really don't think God in his word would refer to pastors as glorious beings, as fascinating as that might be. So we can eliminate that. We can eliminate that. The second choice is, is just by process of elimination is that it would appear that Peter was then referring to glorious beings that we know as angels. That's why you see the translation celestial beings and uh, angelic majesties. And this is supported by the context because in verse 11, he, he, he speaks about angels. Whereas angels, he says, and there's a passage in Jude, which is a parallel passage to this in which he speaks about uh, two specific angels. He speaks about Michael, the archangel, and Satan, who is a fallen angel. So I think angels, we're, we're, we're on the right track here. He's referring to angels. But the question is, and this is the third choice that we have to make, the question is, which angels, which group of angels? Is he talking about holy angels who follow the Lord and serve him and serve you? Or is he referring to evil fallen angels? Just angels doesn't, doesn't tell us. So we have to make a decision. Well, it seems to me that he must be referring to fallen angels, to, to what we would call as demons. And I'll tell you why. Notice verse 11. We'll study it in context when we get to it, but but I just want you to see it. It says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them, these celestial beings, before the Lord. Now, he makes a contrast between good angels who, who wouldn't do this. Good angels, he's talking about in verse 11, wouldn't do so it's a contrast it's a contrast he's a he's contrasting the glorious ones being slandered uh with the false teacher and, and good angels and all that so the glorious ones being slandered must be false angels if there's a contrast with good angels the contrast must be with them and false angels fallen angels it can't be good angels if that's who are they are contrasted with so by process of elimination it would appear that Peter is telling us that these false teachers were slandering, insulting, blaspheming, railing against fallen angels, demons. So I think that can be established. And that, that is how I think most Bible teachers would interpret this. Now, a good question to ask, and one that you probably have thought of already, is why were these false religious leaders speaking against evil fallen angels, and what were they saying? And on top of that, why would that be a bad thing? I mean, why is it bad to speak evil of somebody who's evil? Because they're they're evil. 
They're wicked. Well, first of all, we have to be very honest and, and, and with the passage and say that Peter just doesn't tell us how or why they were slandering fallen angels. We don't know. We can't be dogmatic on it. We can't be sure of what was going on. But I do think we can take some educated guesses and understand their only guesses. I think that is a great question, but we don't have time to answer it today. I'm sorry to say that we are almost out of time. Come back for the next verse by verse and find out if your guesses about those reasons are anything like those of Pastor Steve. Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you're in or near Clearwater on a Sunday, why don't you stop in and hear Pastor Steve in person? I know he'd love to meet you. The church is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com. We are well into this series on the dangers of false teachers. If you missed some of our broadcasts and would like to get caught up, there are a couple of ways you can do that. One is to visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click the Message Archive tab. Another approach is to call and ask for a CD with this entire message, The Dangers of False Teachers, Part 6, or an earlier one. The CD will have just the message with no announcements. That number is 727-239-0306. If you call outside of regular business hours, please leave your name and a daytime phone number so we can get back to you. The number again is 727-239-0306. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. I hope you can come back for the next Verse by Verse. We'll find out what Pastor Steve thinks about why false teachers would speak against Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.